And now we're looking at the second part of that prayer that the Lord in, uh, advised Peter that he'd made. So going back to Luke 22, verse 31, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So it's the, that your faith may not fail. It's a, a wonderful prayer for us to be um, praying for ourselves and our loved ones and our brothers and sisters that we might be kept. And there's some great confidence in the statement from the Lord. And when you have turned back, the confidence being that Peter would recover uh, from this episode, then the instruction was strengthen your brothers. Um, this is a, a list that we had last week when we were thinking of um, the agape and the, the filio conversation. Peter, do you love me? Uh, of course I love you. And we were reflecting on how maybe the Lord was testing the quality, the priority, the cost of um, how much Peter was prepared to support his love for the Lord by paying for it. And we now know the ultimate price had to be paid from Peter's point of view. And then there was the, the love of confidence that the Lord had. Feed my lambs, take care for my sheep and feed my sheep. And it's really the second part of, of um, or the latter part of the prayer that I'd like us to try and reflect on today. And I uh, apologise for the, the P's. Um, I couldn't think of a word for courage that began with P other than pluck. So we'll be looking at Peter's courage, his passion and his power. And in order to do that, I've got quite some extensive reading to do, but they are a real practical demonstration of um, Peter's experience uh, post the ascension of the Lord and post Pentecost. So let's go to Acts 2. And there's a lot of narrative here and um, other others of the apostles mentioned as well, but try and keep your eye out for... Peter um, and what's referred, what's referring specifically to him. So let's go first of all to Acts 2, 14 to 41. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge 
and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep hold of him. David said this about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices, my body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one, on his, one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, and he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exactly to the right, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what we now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool of your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Just a brilliant uh, sermon from Peter, um, quoting the Old Testament. Um, <coughs> clearly um, a relatively poorly educated, fairly crude fisherman, uh, an unschooled ordinary man, transformed into an orator speaking with power and authority. We'll come back to that. Let's go to our second reading, which is Acts chapter 3. The first 16 verses. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Then all the people saw him walking and praising God. They recognised him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Cade, uh, Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, 
Why does this surprise you? Why do you not? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know has been made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. And finally, uh, going on to the next chapter, chapter 4. Verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected. He has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone in, living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer of, to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them to not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judge. As far as us, we can, cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. A real cracking uh, list of things that uh, went on. And, um, you know, the, the verse that um, stands out is the one that we were looking at the start. These were unschooled, ordinary men. And the people were astonished at their courage. Um, hence the, the challenges that we receive. 
So let's uh, consider um, our pluck passion and power from those narratives that, that we've got there. So we will take texts and lessons from the whole of the three passages that we've read because I think there's uh, evidence of these characteristics. Um, what I would encourage us to do is the whole purpose of having this study is to bring it to our own life and circumstances. And so the, the challenge, if I can get it up now, is to what extent does courage or pluck characterise my life? And it's courage in the context of making our stand for the Lord Jesus. So the first thing that uh, struck me is the confidence that Peter showed. Um, and we read that he stood up, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. And that was in response to them accusing the apostles of being drunk at nine o'clock in the morning. And it's as though Peter, um, the character was transformed. And, you know, not many days previous, he was the guy who was following at a distance, trying to avoid the attention of um, these very same people. And um, was all too keen to... Uh, deny that he even knew the Lord and the contrast is he stood up raised his voice and addressed the, addressed the crowd we're not um, open air we don't have the opportunity to preach in the open air of these days and that was uh, my sense was it was an open air opportunity and Peter just had the confidence to step up to the plate and um, you know, he, he hadn't prepared a sermon, uh, I don't think. He was just speaking out of the fullness of his heart and his experience. And you just get every sense of confidence in the man. Not arrogance, but um, excitement as to what he's experienced. So he stood up, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. And the words that he said included, Listen carefully, I tell you confidently. Now, it's one thing to have the courage to speak out when we're given the opportunity. And it does take courage. It's a scary thing. And perhaps one of the um, issues that we ha have is we know that our audience often um, is either completely ignorant or sceptical or even worse, antagonistic to what they might be expecting to hear. And it, it seems to me that Peter's... Um, confidence is supported by his conviction that what he uh, was about to say was absolutely true listen carefully I tell you confidently and then um, the next event when he's, he's uh, engaged in um, curing the crippled man at the gate it says that uh, looking straight at the man there's a, there's a kind of sense of eye contact and uh, I think that, that's really important and a part of our um, confidence and the conviction of the truth of what we're saying requires us and I'm kind of trying to give eye contact here it, it, you know you, 
if you're unsure of your topic, then maybe the the natural uh, inclination is to kind of look somewhere else. I don't want to kind of engage with with people in eye contact because um, I don't know somehow my confidence goes. But I just felt feel that you know as we look through what characterised Peter's behaviour in the sense of courage, there's there's confidence. Um, he wasn't didn't get the sense he was nervous. Uh, he wasn't arrogant, but he was um, committed because of his own um, belief in what he knew was true, and he was prepared to engage seemingly with anybody um, on a level and was giving them eye contact. Important thing for us to think about. Strength in numbers. Um, there were occasions when the apostles went off and did their own thing, lots of examples of that. But uh, we have Peter, James and John, and uh, this is before James's uh, martyrdom. James was not many days after this um, executed. Um, James being the son of John, uh, sorry, James being the brother of John, sons of Zebedee, and Peter probably somehow related to them, certainly working with them in their business. Um, and you have now Peter and John working together. Uh, maybe there's a principle there. Have Mo Moses and Aaron is an older, an Old Testament example of the same thing, where there is um, strength in numbers. And maybe that's just something that we should uh, encourage each other to think about. That um, maybe there is more impact, uh, particularly in a in an outreach context, if we're together. Um, obviously, sometimes we're presented with opportunities and we are on our own so um, just a thought for us to think about and then uh, the last point under courage was the authority with which Peter made his statements and this is where the, the potential for arrogance just melted away you know, it seemed like the crowds all of a sudden have transitioned from accusing them of being drunk to now almost on the point of giving them some kind of worship because of the amazing things that they've done. And um, Peter, on this occasion, but also woven throughout his uh, interaction with the uh, authorities, is always speaking under the authority of Jesus Christ. And we get that most directly when he looks straight at the cripple and says... Uh, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. And uh, I think um, our confidence is not just about what we know, <laughs> that's important, but it's the basis on which we know what we know. And, of course, we only speak um, by the authority of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a little embarrassed by... The, my response to the challenge, whether my behaviour and my response to opportunities as they arise, and they can be impromptu opportunities or they can be formal assignments that were given. <coughs> and how, are my, how is my reaction characterised by courage? Pluck is a kind of cool word, I think. It means that you just there's a certain spontaneity about it, 
and uh, that's a real challenge to my heart and I would just share that with you. Let's move on to um, passion. Just again, a few references from the passages that we've read. And um, clearly Peter um, has a certain infectious excitement about him. And it's because of his own personal experience with the Lord. We were reflecting last week on the private encounter he had with the Lord during which he dealt with um, his denial and the sin associated with that. There is evidence that that private encounter happened, but we don't have any record of its content. Um, and clearly he emerged from that experience with a real passion and what became an infectious excitement about what he believed. Um, you have some very spontane spontaneous references to the Old Testament coming out in his sermon, in his response to the challenges from the people. Um, now, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. David said about him, a um, bit later on, you get that famous verse, it's in, um, I think it's in Acts chapter 10, and uh, it says, all the prophets testify concerning him that anyone who believes in his name receives forgiveness of sins. Um, Peter, as we said when we looked at his biography, was a committed Orthodox Jew. And he his education would have been very much immersed in the Old Testament teachings. And now through the Holy Spirit, and what he'd committed to his own memory uh, from the Old Testament, and with the 40 days privilege of spending those 40 days with the Lord who expounded all of these things from the Old Testament Peter is now able to articulate uh, with passion from the Old Testament about how these things now pointed um, to the reality of what they'd experienced so again um, the challenge to my heart on that particular point is about familiarity with God's word and you know how readily does God's word come to my mind when I've got an opportunity to somehow respond to a skeptic or um, whoever it might be. Uh, I think that really does characterize a man or a woman of God when they are able to, through the help of the Holy Spirit, of course, bring to the surface the things that they are passionate about and passionate about from God's word. Maybe one of the things that we can take away in this challenge is to reflect on, on what our favourite verses are. If you go back to the experience of the Lord during his temptation, and he responded to temptation, it's a different context, it's about managing temptation as opposed to preaching um, the message, but same principle applies. The Lord was able to bring to mind completely relevant scriptures. And it was, it's been kind of reflected that all of those scriptures that the Lord quoted are from Deuteronomy 33. And that would have been a key book for a young Jew in those days who would have studied that. And 
he would just be able to bring to the surface the things that were relevant. And you know, maybe we should have our own little library of key scriptures that we feel are impactful um, in this kind of context and be ready with them. Of course, not wanting to um, ignore the reality of the help of the Holy Spirit because he can bring to mind those things. That's part of his responsibility is to remind us of those things. And then another characteristic of, um, of what we've read about Peter is his own experience. Um, he was talking about the reality of the resurrection and in one version it says, and we are eyewitnesses of the fact. I love that statement, the fact. It's like in, in Peter's mind, there's no question about this. If you're skeptical about it, then you know, you're just wrong <laughs> because I've been there, I've seen him and I've got no doubt. And Peter would have had the benefit not just of the, the 40 days uh, post-resurrection, but also those intimate encounters with the Lord that are not recorded, but were life-changing. Um, he says later on in, in his epistle, we did not follow cleverly invented stories where uh, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, reflecting back on the um, time when the Lord was transfigured before them. That was his own experience, admittedly very unique. And then we have uh, the beginning of First Peter 5. It says um, he describes himself as a witness of Christ's sufferings. So it seems to me that coupled with his knowledge and recall from Old Testament scriptures, now finding their fulfillment in the uh, life and purposes of the Lord, He's able to um, demonstrate his passion in an infectious way by his own personal experience. I, maybe the best way to say this, when we were in Burma, I think I've said this before, that as a, a visitor from the West, um, you don't get the opportunity to listen to other brethren minister because they just have this expectation that, well, you're the visitor, you know, you'll, you'll speak. And as an overseer, you know, it's important that we try and discern the development of, of, of brothers, particularly younger men. So we made a deal with them that we do everything, this is um, when we were there last, we do everything that they wanted us to do in the way of ministry. But in return, during the training for service sessions, the last thing, the closing part of the day would be a 15 minute ministry from one of the young men translated into English because that's another issue when they do their own ministry or prayers it tends not to be translated and it's really interesting that without exception they defaulted to their testimony not just necessarily their testimony about salvation but some personal experience of the Lord and I, I just was finding that so refreshing because it's scripture based but it's a real life person with a real life experience and we've all got those we've all got milestones spiritual milestones in our lives that can be very powerful when we share what has been revealed to us um, about the Lord with other people and I would just suggest that that combination of appropriate scriptures 
come into our memory coupled with our own real life experience shared has a strong impact and the the way it comes across is here is someone who is passionate because it's personal and it's in his own experience finally uh, we'll go to power this was a very special time in the development of the Christian church and arguably unique the there was a kind of ripeness about the people receiving on the receiving end of this ministry um, that seemed to um, you know, they, they received it, they embraced it, they responded to it, and clearly what Peter was doing was very much accompanied by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. And it just, uh, his, his first response after the accusation of, you must be all drunk, and he delivered this um, narrative about what had, had gone on, supported by scripture, and the impact is that they were cut to the heart. Um, that clearly is the Holy Spirit's work, but it must have been so encouraging for Peter and the apostles to see how receptive certain individuals were to the message and the way it was delivered. And of course the consequences, 3,000 were added to the number that day. Going on to the, um, the guy at the beautiful gate, he experienced complete healing. I love the image of him um, walking and jumping <laughs> and praising God going into the into the um, temple with Peter and John. Um, you just immediately there's an impact on the man's. It's a life changing event for him, and everybody knew it, and it just seemed to um, be evidence that what was being said was accompanied with a tremendous power. There's probably lots of stories like this, but I, I remember a story of a, a brother in Liverpool Assembly who's now in his 80s. It's kind of a, a low-profile brother, I would describe him as. Um, very quiet, quite an introvert in many ways. But he was saved in a gospel meeting, a conventional gospel meeting in Liverpool years and years ago. And... During the meeting, he stood up and said, I've got it. <laughs> and this is a guy who's just uh, so, that's just not his character. <laughs> you know, and it, it demonstrates the uh, impact and power that there is in the gospel. Um, and of course, uh, a broader impact, all the people were praising God. That gave the, the authorities a real problem. <laughs> you know, this, this is... Um, being embraced by the people in in vast numbers and you know we don't want them to go in that in that way i let's get our challenge up i crave that in my own experience as an individual and in service um you know speaking boldly with confidence speaking with passion because of what the scriptures say revealed to us through the Holy Spirit and because of our own experience and then speaking with power how did I 
where did I conclude on, you know, is there a, somehow a block in my experience, and perhaps you can relate to it too, that the power doesn't always seem to be there. I just so often go back to this encounter that Peter had with the Lord. You know, that was the time at which he sorted out his issues. And then it was underpinned in public by the statement he made to the Lord in response to Peter, do you love me? And God is in control of when and how people respond to the message and respond to our testimony. Um, and the Holy Spirit is the only one who can enable it and, and demonstrate his power. But I think the, the message for me to take home is I need to be an effective channel for that. And part of that is being in the right condition, in the right relationship with the Lord, as we know Peter was indeed. Finally, um, just to summarise, we've come to the end of this kind of rapid review of Peter, his life, uh, the character, his circumstances. And we have got a kind of build-up of um, challenges to, to take away. Um, recognising that Peter's call was a process, not a single event, and that's the same for us. So where are we up to with our call? His um, absolute conviction as to the true identity of the Lord Jesus, that should be something that marks our lives, that we know who he is without doubt. From despair to excitement, uh, realising that he let the Lord down, um, we remember the race to the tomb, uh, Peter desperate to have a conversation with the Lord, that's how I see it. And um, his life is a demonstration of um, how God can break the power of cancelled sin. Are my failures winning? Um, Peter went away and wept bitterly. And you can imagine he was really down for those three days before he, he saw the Lord in his resurrection. Um, if we're not careful, our time of failure can dominate us for years and become a real obstacle to our service. More familiar than we first thought, that's just recognising in this man's life there's so much we can relate to it and uh, particularly his failures and we should uh, respond to that. How forgiven do I feel? Relating back to the, the same point again. And then the, the challenge of how much do we love him? It's kind of going to make a, an appeal here for a baptism that Peter was demonstrating to the Lord in that dialogue that of course mm -hmm. I love you and I'm going to do what it is you want me to do. And you know, at some point Peter was, was a baptised member of, of the Church of God. And perhaps that's a, a challenge that some of us are reflecting on just now as to, um, is there a test at the moment? How can, how can I prove to the Lord that I really do love him and I'm giving him the priority um, and the commitment that he's asking for? And it's one way is to respond to that challenge of baptism. And then finally, the pluck, the passion and the power, how much do they characterise my life and my behaviour? in particular in relation to my service and that's something that I would encourage us to take away and reflect on. Now I had a real panic with this yellow box because I'm thinking 
we done Peter, <laughs> the, epistle, the epistles, um, Peter's two epistles. Um, I don't think we have. Um, maybe we should just consider this as a foundation study for the epistles that Peter wrote, because uh, you know, for, for me, I can't wait to get into them now. You know, I've kind of got my head into this this man. He's very human, but he's very special, and in his older age. Um, having been a pioneer of the churches of God in the New Testament, he's now got a rich ministry delivered through his letters, and I think it would be great for us, either individually or maybe in a series like this, to consider his letters. Shall we pray?